0: And Welcome to episode number 346 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, there's an incident in Spain involving everyone's favourite UK legacy carrier in the same week. They sell off their family silver, and one airline is offering a free layover hotel if you fly with them. And it's time to get comfortable as one German carrier offers lie-flat beds in economy. <laughs> In the military, we get an up-to-date on the fatal F-16 CM crash at Shaw Air Force Base, and the Italian Army says goodbye to their faithful Hueys. It's the final part of our chat with Neil Cloughley of Faraday, and in this week's Plain Truth, Tony S. has his question answered by Captain Al. And also, it's a very special weekend this weekend because it's Matt's birthday on Sunday. And joining me this week
1: in the PTUK studio, as always,
0: it's the awesome Matt
1: Smith. I've already told you my birthday isn't happening this year because of this whole silly, stupid, stupid COVID. It's not happening. It's it's a it's a figment of everyone's imagination. That's that's what it is. Uh, it's also a jolly good excuse to remain forty three for one long one more year. Is the way I'm looking at it. I I'm, <laughs> I,
0: I I think what I might do this year, Matt, I'm going to get you a birthday cake, but it's going to have the complete wrong picture of you on it.
1: Oh right again. Oh that'll be nice. <laughs> yeah yes, yeah. Carlos, you'll have to explain that.
0: You'll, you realise. So I'm going to explain that one quickly Very for you quickly guys before we get to uh, many, yeah. many many years ago, we had a birthday for Matt. We went to a restaurant for Matt's birthday load of of us all together group of us they brought out a birthday cake because there was various birthday parties going on in the restaurant brought out a birthday cake for Matt with a photo on the front we all sang happy birthday and everything we all sang happy birthday (laughs) and they put the cake down in front of Matt and the cake was meant for another table, yeah, and it wasn't yeah, Matt.
1: Not me it. at all. It wasn't even me on the birthday cake. That was the most hilarious thing. I've never seen people whisk <laughs> in and whisk off a cake so fast. And then they literally went round the outside. So they went out through the front door, round the back, came back in, and then happy birthday to you. So off it went again. It was the yeah. funniest thing uh, literally ever. Anyway, carrying on.
0: <laughs> but joining us this week, as always, is the awesome man himself, the, the connoisseur of fine ales and wines. It is, of course, Neville Barnes.
2: That's, That's very nice, you. Carlos, thank you, that was a very sad story about Matt's uh, birthday situation, I didn't realise that that had happened, that was uh, Yeah, terrible. this is
1: quite tragic really, as
2: it was. birthday's not
1: till Sunday actually, so it's, you know well, it's, yes. uh, I mean Boris could change his mind between now and then and perhaps oh. we could all go
2: out and get drunk Anything
1: could happen no. <laughs>
2: well, quite. Yeah, could be on the show again, thanks very much indeed for tuning in everybody
0: and... uh, we, we, um, We've got a special request coming in on the line uh, Nev uh, Could we have an update on the banana?
2: Oh. Uh, yes, the banana is uh, being repaired as I speak, Ooh. and they have given me a Seat Leon. Right. Uh, that's, that, that's... And they have claimed to have balloted it before they gave it to me. Right. Uh, but I, I, w- I would <laughs> beg to <differ>. give <laughs> Yes, absolutely. That's... Uh, but um, so hopefully you should be back on uh, Friday of next week.
1: Is, is that one of those Nev, where you wiped your feet on the way out? That's yeah, the... oh, right. okay. oh, that was... <laughs> yeah. What lovely treat. Is yeah. that one of
0: those top of the range um, one liter?
2: Say, it, do you know what? It is a one liter one, <gasps> but rather concerningly, it's only slightly. Um, slower than my car. Oh dear! Um, <laughs> and I, so I've got and to a of the cost, I the cost. Think about that. Think. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. These okay. three-cylinder, one-liter jobs are extremely fast. Um, really. And as they, as they say, you know, what's the uh, the fastest car you've ever driven? And the answer is a rental car. Mm.
1: Uh, yeah. So Neville is thrashing the out of that
0: this weekend yeah
1: well it's that it's that it's it's, uh what's his name uh uh jeremy clarkson wasn't it he said you ask you you ask jeremy clarkson what the fastest car in the world is and he'll always say a higher car
0: (laughs) (laughs) so joining us this week he's not here yet but he should be with us uh very soon of course is armando he's uh currently uh, whisking his way to his uh, studio so hopefully uh, armando will be joining us very soon indeed but uh top of the show then as always we are going to say a quick hello to everyone on youtube and also don't forget if you are listening to the show as an audio podcast and you want to join in the chat room fun, don't forget to go over to our YouTube page, search for us on there, youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK. You can hit the subscribe button and that bell icon as well, uh, to which is right next to it to be notified when we go live and record new episodes. And you can join everyone in the chat room who this week we've got loads of the usual family members in. Lane Street, hello to you, Lane, Jacob Darlington Brown. My God, it must be early where you are. Uh, Richard Adams, Captain. Cruz, we've got Rakon, hello to you Rakon, Alan Loveday, Uh, Stephen H, just scrolling down the list, make sure I don't miss anyone out, Uh, James Russell, hello to you James, Uh, Richard Adams, Uh, Pilot Pips in there as well this week, Masha, hello to you Masha, hope you're well. Um, just going on, Tony S Graham Haley hello to you Graham looking forward to tomorrow's kitchen disco no doubt uh,
3: shameless plug uh, and also uh,
0: Sturman hello to you Gareth <laughs> Sturman joining us in the chat room as well hope you are well as well this evening so big thanks to everyone who has joined us in youtube chat room
1: this evening dev i wonder if i could trouble you to just sort of uh promo a little something that that will be available on youtube on sunday actually when when we're done because uh, you yes. had a little bit of a flight didn't you not not a real one sadly i never left the ground though
2: <laughs> uh, but, uh yeah a couple of weeks ago i was doing some filming Uh, a320 podcast guys uh, and they very kindly let me have a go in the a320 simulator up in cambridge and um it wasn't just a normal flight it was an engine failure after takeoff uh, manual circuit and uh, ils approach and landing all flown by myself so if you want to see the catastrophe uh there that occurred um then please uh, stay tuned until the end of the show we're actually going to make it as a special feature goodness knows why uh, <laughs> but, uh, we'll put it up on the YouTube channel but uh, yeah, stay to, right to the end of the show yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll share we'll that show you with the rest you. of you absolutely, yeah. and if you are listening to the audio version of the show, you'll find that
1: uh, on YouTube, just go to our Plain Talking UK channel on YouTube and uh, you'll find the video there for you to be able to enjoy in all its HD glory
0: mm. <laughs> and uh, John actually sent me a copy of the, the video early today, our producer John I listened to uh, to Nev and the three uh, three twenty, and the audio was was so clear. It was just you know, whoop
1: whoop, pull up, whoop, whoop oh, pull up.
0: Oh, right. the whole video. <laughs> so yeah,
1: so good. Yeah, I did worry. I do I do worry <laughs> about you sometimes, Carlos. Anyway, should we do some news stories? <laughs> yes, uh,
0: we are going to start the show. Then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if all the teams ready,
1: yeah, let's go. <laughs>
2: Well, the first story is on Sam Chewy's website. I do like Sam Chewy. He does a good mm. blog and website, mm. doesn't he? Uh, but it's a bit of a tragedy, I'm afraid. I have actually flown on this very aircraft in question uh, on a flight from uh, Heathrow to Los Angeles, probably about 11 years ago. Something like that to one of our trade shows over there. But uh, it says uh, on the 23rd of November at uh, Castellon Airport in Spain, a stored British Airways Boeing seven four seven four hundred caught fire. Uh, the aircraft, which was uh, registration of Golf Charlie uh, India Victor Delta, made a ferry flight for retirement and dismantling to the airport in mid-August. Uh, Since then, the 26-year-old aircraft has been stored at a remote stand. According to Levanta newspaper, as explained uh, by the Provisional Deputy for Firefighters, the fire started whilst operators were working on the 747. It's believed that the fire occurred due to an oxygen pipe being cut and subsequently igniting, although the cause is still being investigated. As precaution, the planes that were nearby uh, the burned aircraft have been relocated. The fire only affected the front of the aircraft and nobody was injured well victor delta was delivered to ba in december of 1994 And since January 2014, it's been adorned with the One World Special Colours. Its last commercial flight was between uh, Heathrow and Lagos on April the 18th. In total, it's made 13,398 flights, which equates to 118,445 hours and 59 million miles. So it's certainly... uh, done very well for the airline but what a tragic end to it um, i know absolutely it's, it's done 59 million miles you know in complete safety and it spends a couple of weeks on the ground and, and this happens so uh, yeah yeah but um yeah thank goodness nobody was hurt but uh, yeah that could have been a whole load worse than it was couldn't it so.
1: Indeed, I mean, there's, we're just sort of playing some of the video footage and things. I mean, it's you know the whole top deck is completely—it was crashed, well aligned, isn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. yeah. Oh. It is, uh, it is uh, I, I not serviceable again. I don't think it is. It's, uh, you know, you know. Yeah. it's uh, quite, quite the, uh, quite the incident. Let's be honest. Even mm. though
0: it's going to be scrapped, it is always a shame to see things like this happen. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Guess. I know they're going to get they're going to get cut up and scrapped anyway. But it's always a shame when you see aircraft being. Burned. I was just saying, like this.
1: Yeah, is... as you say. Well, and also having to move all the other aircraft out of the way, of course, is yeah. a is a you know a bit of bit of a. a, a Lane uh, Lane Street
0: in the chat room. Dodgy insurance scam.
1: Oh, really? You reckon it's a what? dodgy insurance scam? Do you?
0: Lines on former already. <laughs>
1: Oh, don't they? Okay, but sorry, John's just saying in my ear. Apparently, BA don't air, that air Own that aircraft anymore. I no, presume it's no. sort of. Uh, so we, I, I, don't know. Is it owned by the Breakers now, or is it's it owned by, by the by Breakers the yard, yard now? Right, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. oh, well, there we go uh okay all right so we'll move on to the next story then and this is story two it's a Ryanair story which we haven't had for a while um because basically all he's been doing is upsetting people uh so anyway Ryanair will not require interestingly enough proof of vaccine for European flights uh so a requirement for passengers to have a COVID-19 vaccine to fly uh, is not really relevant for short-haul flights in Europe the CEO of Ryanair Eddie Wilson has said uh, he said that the the that, uh, Europe will be an entirely different landscape next year compared to nations that only have to consider their own border rules. Uh, he was speaking after the head of Australian airline Qantas announced yesterday it is likely passengers would need a jab, um, uh, would need a jab, um, and that would be needed before boarding international flights when they resume. Uh, the Dublin-born uh, Alice, uh, sorry, Alan Joyce, uh, told. Australia's nine news uh, he thinks a vaccine will be a necessity for passengers coming into and out of Australia. Uh, Ryanair's uh, Eddie Wilson today said that such a plan would be more effective in a place like Australia as one of the only ways to get there is via air travel. However he suggested that if someone in Europe failed to get a vaccine for a flight they could just cross the borders by land. He suggested in Paris if there were if they were to choose no vaccination you just get a train instead. Uh, In terms of Christmas travel this year mr wilson said ryanair will be putting on around 40 extra flights in the week or so leading up to christmas day Uh, irish health officials such as dr tony hobbelin and uh, uh, senior ministers have encouraged people not to travel to ireland from abroad for christmas however mr wilson said that people should look at the eu traffic light system uh, Ryanair boss claimed international travel gets a bad rap from the likes of uh, is it Enfet, uh which is Ireland's national public health emergency team. But he uh, believes people coming from the uh, coming home for Christmas will will be far more responsible. So I mean, now I, I, we're sort of mentioning the yeah. Well, <laughs> indeed, sorry, I, I'm having yeah they said we'll we'll be responsible basically Uh, as in much more you know they'll they'll perhaps be more sensible but i mean i think i mean some some of us are reaching i mean some of us are reaching a point actually i don't know how you guys feel actually because again you know it's been announced here in the uk for example that it will be you'll be allowed to have i think was it three households that uh that are allowed to sort of get together over christmas yeah, I mean, it's three. Yeah, three houses. I mean, a lot yeah. of us are sort of almost reaching a point where we almost don't care. Do you know what I mean? We've reached a point now where we haven't seen our family and friends for so long that. And I know it's wrong, but you know, you're just thinking, "Oh, stuff it." Should we just all get together and you know, sod the rules? And I know that's wrong, mm. um, but uh, you know, I guess it's uh, bring on the vaccine is is what I say. But uh, going back more to the, the this story, I mean, what do we? Um, do, who who do you, i mean he's got a, a a huge very valid point here i mean are they going to make people travelling on the eurostar for example um you know have they got to have the the vaccine as well i mean it's so uh, i mean you've got road borders and things uh, too i mean it, it's it, it does seem if, if what he says is is true it does seem terribly unfair that the aviation industry is being expected to make sure everybody's travelling having been vaccinated well um, i
2: yes i agree with that and but i think there's some what should we say oh, careful. they've been making it up as they go along some of right. these Don't they? There's lots of rumour and speculation and very little fact. I mean, why not add the Isle of Man into that equation as well in that case? Because uh, obviously they've got a very low infection rate um, Mm. because they are a tiny island in the middle of the North Sea, uh, sorry, in the Irish Sea between uh, uh, the UK and Ireland. But I think that there will be, surprisingly, I think some common sense will prevail at some point uh, because the out of all of the industries, it's been the hospitality and transportation sector that's been hit the most with this virus by a long way. And obviously there's been you know, a huge number of deaths as well. That, that's terribly tragic. But in terms of getting business back on the uh, rails again, as it were, um, they've got to do something to, to make sure that they can do it. Now, whether it's a phased approach or, or what it is, I don't know, but uh, we'll have to see. I think there's more to play out here, mm, definitely. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's lots of,
1: there's lots of great comments here in the, in the chat room. I mean, Stephen H has got a great point, actually, here, saying that, you know, it's sort of, if you're, if you're a person who's living on their own, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a waste of a household allocation, for example. I mean, it's, um, it's, a, it's a good point, isn't it, it's, yeah. it's a
0: struggle to think about what what we're all going to do, obviously mm. with the head with the Christmas and stuff period coming up, and everyone wanting to see yeah. their own families. For us, you know, as a family, as as everyone will probably know, you know, I lost my granddad early this year, and I still want to go and see my 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 nana yeah. during Christmas. But we've got to try and work out how to do this, you know, yeah. with meeting other members of our family as well. And yeah, absolutely. Should I do this? Should I not do that? It's all yeah. common sense, and
1: yeah. But
0: um, Yes. Anyway, as long we, as the industry gets back to
1: normal as soon as, as soon possible, as possible, possible. absolutely. Yes, as that, that is true. You know, roll on the vaccine. That's what I say. Roll, roll out. Roll yeah. Out. Indeed.
0: So, moving on to the next story. This one that comes from a number of sources, including Simple Flying, uh, turning for left, uh, turning left for less, mm-hmm. Flight Global, as well. Um, so, the headline: Wiz Air unhappy that unused Gatwick slots remain blocked. Oh dear we've uh, covered uh, in the past the fact that airport slots are extremely uh, extremely valuable assets normally in order to retain slots at an eu airport an airline has to use 80% of its slots of course with covid things are different and there is currently a waiver program in place which sees airlines retaining their slots through to march 27th 2021 without having to fly a single flight uh, as one of the few airlines continuing to expand wizz uh, hopes to pick up more slots at london gatwick however the current waiver on the usual slot mean lot uh, slots means uh, rules uh, that have uh, well, for WIZ, has been forced to slow its growth in the London market. While Gatwick Airport is fast becoming a low-cost battleground, slot restrictions mean new airlines cannot break into the airport just yet. Several airlines have left or reduced Gatwick services this year, including Virgin Atlantic on Norwegian, but are yet to relinquish their slots. This isn't the first time WIZ has spoken out against the slot waivers, even calling them a nonsense. The airliners called the measures waivers against the free market, saying they they protect incumbent airlines with weak business models. Currently, nearly $2 billion worth of slots are blocked at Gatwick Airport. CEO Joseph Vardy said in a statement as seen uh, by Reuters, he says, we can keep deferring to COVID-19 forever. But the fact of the matter is that there are airlines who are able to recover quickly. There are airlines that will be dragging along for a long time and may never come out of this. It's almost criminal to hold the slots. They don't have any intention to operate. Other notable people have spoken against the extension, including Gatwick CEO Stuart Wingate and Ryanair boss Michael O'Leary. But not every airline at Gatwick is leaving their slots unused each day. After a month of suspended operations due to a second lockdown and a travel ban imposed on its citizens by the British government, BA will once again fly from Gatwick in December this year, yay! Well done, Nev. Uh, the airline will gradually increase its flights from Gatwick to 36 flights weekly by the 14th of December, to 11 destinations in Mexico and the Caribbean, which is always good. It's good news, I suppose, for um, for staff at BA, Nev um having that news.
2: Well, yeah, I mean that's I think that's the whole thing. I I think there was some kidology going on when BA uh, a few months ago said right we're pulling out of Gatwick that's the end of it. I'm mm-hmm. sure there was conversations going on behind the scenes because uh, when BA could see that there was a possibility of a return they are coming back. Big time, by the looks of it, uh, mm. with a very bold schedule as well, from what I've seen, and that's presumably why the other um, uh, airline operators uh, aren't uh, being allowed their slots, uh, because BA have said they're going to come back. So I definitely um,
0: see Wiz's point, though. You know, it is yeah, a bit, me too. Um, yeah, it's a bit kind of, if you're not going to use the slots, then, or never ever going to lose a slot or use the slots, then you know, you may as well give them up to someone who is. Yep.
1: Yeah, do we think it's a strategic plan, perhaps,
2: think, by BA? Well, I think that BA have traditionally always been at Gatwick as what I would call the holiday airport, <laughs> uh, with an awful lot of flights um, to the Caribbean, for example, and you know other far-flung destinations, as well as some scheduled, regular set scheduled stuff as well. But um, obviously the, the main base is at Heathrow, but the, BA did have a very large operation at Gatwick. Um, uh, up until the pandemic, so I think they'll be back in a in a fairly big way. Uh, was it strategic? Probably because the cost saving associated with that, obviously. Um, so, but we we won't know until until the, they come back. But no, they are, they are going to come back in uh, in quite a big way, which obviously, from a personal point of view, I'm pleased to see. Nev um,
0: Captain Cruz in the chat room says a question you might be able to answer: Does uh, Freddie Laker still have slots at London Gatwick?
2: Well, that's a very good question, isn't it? Have, have they uh, <laughs> have they reserved a few just in case he should return from somewhere uh, with his DC-10? With DC-10, yeah. the Sky Trains. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. good point. Very good point. Oh, I literally I have no face. idea what you two are talking about. Re- really, no really idea. good.
0: So <laughs> Fre- Fre- Freddie Laker was the, the well, would you say the pioneer now of low-cost yeah, really travel? the
2: pioneer of low-cost carrier, Transatlantic travel. The, the US, basically. Mm. That was, right. the, that was okay. the biggest...
0: Ima- imagine a Michael O'Leary oh, God. from the '80s, sort of '70s, right, so, '80s. So a big
1: <laughs> moustache. <laughs> yeah.
0: But he flew. Um, he flew DC-10s. Oh, okay, the the cool. um, I think the Dash 30s. I think he flew actually the DC-10. Wow. Um,
3: okay.
0: But the back in the day. But um, yeah, yeah. He was the he was one of the pioneers. And obviously,
2: of, um, when the company collapsed, it was a huge. It was one of the biggest collapses that had ever and, happened. And
0: why did he collapse,
2: Nev? What, um, what company upset him? Oh, probably... <laughs> well, possibly some competition from other airlines that I may or may not have uh, favoured in the past. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I see. Um, Worrying. But actually, Virgin Atlantic was... Um, I know Richard Branson saw Freddie Laker as very much a, you know, a, a, a pioneer in this mm. area, and, and that's why when Virgin started there first service to Newark Airport um, from uh, from Gatwick. You know, it was very much modelled on, on on the way that Laker was able to operate. Oh, wow. Uh, was, okay. Uh, yeah. Gosh.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting.
0: Yeah. They actually went bankrupt in 1982, Nev. Um, Gosh, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Yes, Laker. that
1: is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You and I were six, Carlos. Mm. Yeah, Mm. that was a while ago. Anyway, uh, moving on to the next story. And this is On Flight Global. And the headline is Alaska to swap Airbus A320s for the Boeing 737 MAX. (gasps) It's a bit of a shock, isn't it, really? So Alaska Airlines will sell 10 Airbus A320s, shifting to 13 more fuel-efficient, leased Boeing 737-9 MAXs. Probably because they can get an amazing deal on them. uh, Which will be delivered from the end of 2021 through 2022. Uh, The Seattle-based airline says on the 23rd of November that it will lease back the Airbus, the aircraft, for a short period of time after the transaction closes. Uh, The A320s will go to uh, the Stephen Udvahazi Air Lease Corporation, which will also lease the Boeing jets to the carrier. Uh, We found an opportunity to sell 10 uh, planes that are not in our long-term plans and replace them with 13 of the most efficient narrow-body aircraft available, says Alaska's Chief Executive Brad Tilden. Uh, The airline said in early October that it was looking to shed the Airbus fleet, accelerating its cost-savings transition back to an all-Boeing fleet. Alaska had operated had operated only 737s before acquiring Virgin America in 2018. According to the Syrian fleet's data, Alaska has 51 A320s, including 30 that are currently in storage. Uh, These leased Boeing 737-9 aircraft will fill an important role on Alaska's diverse route network, bringing the most technologically advanced and environmentally attractive aircraft type into Alaska's fleet. Just in time, as we Expect the airline industry will undergo a sustainable recovery starting in 2021. Um, Alaska says that the MAX has more range which opens up the possibility of additional non-stop routes and new destinations. Uh, the 13 MAX aircraft will be in addition to the 32 aircraft that Alaska currently has on order with Boeing. Uh, the airline expects five of those to be delivered by mid-2021. The carrier also operates 166 uh, 737 new uh, ng what's that new New next generation, next generation 737s uh, The database also shows so Alaska plans to return its seven three seven Max to its schedule from March twenty twenty one after the FAA recertified it last week following a twenty month grounding. So it's, it, I mean, it, it's a it's a very positive story for for the 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 uh, the, the long suffering Max, I guess. I mean, there does seem. I mean, am, am I misreading it? Obviously, with the you know the FAA certifying it uh, last week and things like that. Is 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 there confidence perhaps coming back into this aircraft? Deathly silence. Brilliant. Thank you, gentlemen. I think. I think was, yeah. <laughs> with, with, with what
0: with what's gone on the over answer, last week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with what with what's gone on over on over the last week, I think there's there is a lot more. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard I listened to another show uh, this week where they were chatting to a pilot who was a pilot of a 737, but the, not the Max, but the original mm. 7.3. And he was saying that, uh, you know, with the, everything that's gone on, he said that he's more than looking forward to going, moving on to learning and training on the Max to fly the Max because he said it would be the most
1: safest aircraft. On well, the, I mean, uh, I think we've all said that, haven't we? It's yeah. just like because, you know, the, they're going to be very, very confident that, you know, it's going to be good. If you saw what sort of, I mean, once it gets
0: back in the air. Alaska, actually, to be fair, Alaska have, have been a lover of Boeing for a while. They, they were um, one, of the, or one of the biggest or bigger, you big big issues of the original, if you remember, Nev, the 737 200 with the um, Pratt yes. Whitney JT8D engines on. And Very Alaska, noisy. yeah, uh, Alaska actually used the combi version, which was the, um, the, the half and half, the passenger and half passenger, half cargo um, that uh, Boeing made. I think it was a QC, quick change. I they called mm. that the Combi version. Wow. So, yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah, I actually flew on Alaska for the first time last year when I went went to our um, uh, global sales meeting in uh, Portland. So I flew from Seattle uh, to Portland and back, uh, which I think I'm um, right, his name was 737-800. Uh, but, uh, yeah, very, um, very busy services. And they were flying, oh, gosh, probably eight, eight flights a day, just between Seattle and Portland, I think. So, yeah. Amazing. I've
0: heard good things about Alaska. Mm, yes. Yeah. So moving on to the next story then, and uh, Nev, um, I think we should all go and start buying something
2: here. Oh, yes, on the headforpoints.com website. And now, from Waterside, it's the sale of the century. Well, over the course... Over the last few months, lots of airlines have been selling off the, uh, their excess stock of amenity kits, snacks and even entire stocked bar carts. British Airways is selling a number of items from the first class service, including a range of bedding and crockery. In the press release, it said although the at home experience is no match for the real thing, Customers or collectors can pick up such items as William Edwards plates, soup bowls, saucers, and even a butter dish for reasonable prices, allowing them to create an authentic first class dining experience at home. Uh, Bread baskets, hot towels, which obviously arrive cold, uh, hot towel (laughs) plates, champagne (laughs) flutes, coasters and the Club World casserole dish are also available, as will be the first class slippers and day blanket. Uh, Of all the crockery, uh, sorry, all of the crockery embedding is brand new just so that you know, it's not been uh, used at all. Uh, But given none of the items uh, listed are perishable, you'd think that BA would be happy to hold on to them rather than to sell them. But it would not be the first time that BA has sold off uh, excess stock. Staff sales are a semi-regular occurrence at the HQ. COVID-19 may just have pushed this online. There are a few reasons why BA might have chosen... Uh, to liquidate its stock. I mean, they think they can raise some cash from it, obviously. The retirement of the 747 fleet and the significant reduction in available first-class seats means that BA now has an abundance of crockery and bedding more than it can realistically make use of in the coming years. Uh, Maybe the lack of flying in the past months means that the breakages... Have significantly reduced, leaving BA with a mountain of items, or maybe it plans to introduce a new service in the near future. Who, who knows? But in d- addition to the family China, British Airways is also selling a range of general items where you can buy such stuff as aircraft catering boxes or a waste top loader trolley for oh £150. <laughs> Notably absent, however, are amenity kits. Or first class pajamas. Well, the bargain of the day where you could get a set of six larger dinner plates for £5. However, it turned out this was a -A BAIT error. Has that ever happened before? No. And should have read £50. Oh, Um, right. And uh, my colleague and friend, uh, Andy from the A320 podcast, Uh, went on to the uh, site as quickly as he could to try and buy some stuff and all the good stuff had gone by the time he got to it so I suspect that... uh, Had it. uh, Now actually,
1: interestingly uh, enough there people who watch the YouTube feed will know that I actually played a little bit of music under there because obviously the headline featured a certain um, uh, sort of TV programme that was made very famous which I'm just treating you now. Live from Norwich. It's the quiz of the week. And the reason why I'm playing this is because when I was looking, when we were having our little chat earlier in the show, I was watching the video. Now, everybody watched this. So, I didn't realise this, but I, I, I think, if I'm correct, Carlos's favourite aircraft is in this. <laughs> there you go. Look, is that a tristar? No? Beautiful. <laughs> no? Okay, just me. Fair best enough.
0: best thing ever, that is.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. There we go. So, as what did you say, I, I I was, I was <laughs> yeah what what would the uh, chat room actually quite like to buy i mean if 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 they were selling off the family silver as we like to as we said in our our opening there i mean what what would it be that you would like to buy if if uh, if they were sort of flogging bits and pieces off it's uh, what was andy trying to go for do you know just andy oh he, he
2: wasn't parts. yeah i think anything is is what right, the, he okay <laughs> Not I don't know whether he was thinking of reselling it, for example, or whether he wanted right. it. Right, OK. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, were, there wasn't much left uh, by the time he got to it, apparently. No, I can imagine.
1: I, I, mean, I, but, I mean, genuinely, realistically, when you think of all the overheads and stuff that, that all of the airlines have at the moment, obviously, with what's going on here, I mean, genuinely, realistically, I mean, how much money will this have, like, Raised. I mean, and presumably, if the aircraft go back in the if the aircraft go back in the air, I mean, you know, they've now got to buy a whole
2: load of new kit. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that I, I I don't think it's necessarily about the money. Right. Maybe to do with well, just giving the profile up again, perhaps of the airline, but also there there may be a refresh going on right. with some new stuff uh, coming for next year. Who who knows what what the no, real story okay. was, but. Uh,
1: yeah, it was yeah. Uh, actually. It was, to be fair, in yeah. my
0: in my kitchen drawer downstairs, I have got some British Caledonian teaspoons. Oh, <laughs> if well, most people know what British yeah, Caledonian R- is. Raccon
1: is um, saying, uh, yeah, yeah, PR basically is what they're saying. <laughs> it's basically, which is what I think they're saying, isn't it? Well, you know, there we go. Well, good luck to them. I mean, hopefully, it raised mm. them a couple of quid as well, isn't it? They might yes. be able to keep on another member of cabin crew as a result. Yeah. <laughs> who knows?
3: <laughs>
0: so maybe. To the next story, and uh, this one comes to us from edition.cnn.com uh, edition cnn dot com, and uh, it's good news if you're st- planning to uh, layover in Dubai because Emirates offers a free hotel stay with your Dubai layover. Just makes a point actually before I read the story that uh, this is not a new service, just a, resu- a resumption of one that it stopped as a recall. Uh, re- uh, uh, Due to COVID. But uh, the story goes so, a little piece of good news is that if you're stopping over in Dubai for more than 10 hours, Emirates are going to throw in a free hotel stay. The United Arab Emirates flag carrier is resuming its Dubai Connect service on December the 1st this year, making travel a little easier for people navigating flight schedules altered by the coronavirus pandemic. Take a drink. So to book the service, you need to be a transit passenger traveling on two Emirates flights using the best available connection for your uh, chosen journey. So no cheating by booking a flight with a longer layover. If your layover is between 10 and 24 hours, you could qualify for a complimentary night at a four or five star hotel, plus airport grand transfers, meals at the hotel as well, and assistance with your UAE visa on arrival if required. Uh, You can expect to stay at the four-star Copthorne Hotel, Dubai, or the five-star Le Meridian Dubai Hotel and Conference Centre. Oh, why do I recognise that name? I think I've stayed in there with Gemma. But the airline... Yeah, we have. Le Meridian. Yeah, that was um, about four years ago we stayed there. Uh, But the airline must also put passengers... It's a very nice hotel as well. uh, Put passengers up at alternative car accommodation. The service is open to all passengers, no matter the travel class, unless they're travelling to a destination which requires PCR tests for COVID-19 on arrival. In that case, business and first passengers might get a stay at the Dubai International Hotel at Dubai Airport, depending on availability and given access to Emirates uh, Dubai Connect Airport Lounge. Uh, the lounge has facilities for eating, drinking, unwinding. And economy passengers on longer stopovers, uh, overs will also get the chance to hang, hang out there as well. Blimey, that's really kind. Uh, Earlier this year, Emirates became the first airline to offer uh, cover to customers' medical cover, uh, medical expenses, and quarantine costs should they contra- uh, contract COVID nineteen during their trip. Um, so that's that's actually that's quite a nice little treat i suppose if you're going to lay over for more than 10 hours to be able to have um the hotel stay included on there I but did i nice.
1: did i hear you hear you right there you saying that actually this isn't the first time that that's happened it's just a resumption of a scheme that was yeah already a resumption in
0: place. of a scheme yeah is of a scheme that is already in place um it's, there are some T's and C's that go with this, right. uh, obviously, which I'm sure we'll uh, put in the show notes for anyone who is thinking of travelling to Dubai. Um,
1: I'm... There's some interesting... Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, sorry, John is just saying in, in our ears there, sorry for for that. Uh, we're, we're um, yeah, we're basically... Yeah, to the, book a Dubai yeah. Connect
0: service, the connecting flight on your itinerary must be the best available con- uh, connection. Right. It means that the stopover time in Dubai between your flights must, must, underline, be the shortest one available. I mean,
1: I, I, mean, I kind of assumed that this was actually, again, it was one of these sort of PR um exercises where it was encouraging people to come into dubai and you know encourage you to have a layover to maybe spend a bit of time in dubai but if it is literally just a you know like shortest shortest hour out, out again you literally have a shower and then out you go again then uh, then i don't know it's uh, it's it seems like a bit of a waste opportunity perhaps i don't know and
0: it was that hotel it was that hotel, was that hotel. Yeah. all right okay
1: yeah. yes well done lovely so nice Very then nice.
0: There it is, a very nice hotel. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So moving on to the next story then. And Nev, uh, this one is all for you about
2: uh, comfy yes, seats. on the independent.co.uk uh, website. This is an interesting one. Lufthansa is trialling sleeper seats in economy. And uh, they're going to be doing this, uh, they're going to roll this out to across a number of international routes. The new seating concept, named Sleepers Row, is being tested on long-haul flights between Frankfurt and Sao Paulo be- between uh, 18th and November until an uh, as-yet-unconfirmed date in mid-December. Essentially, passengers already flying on the route are given the option of upgrading their, their economy experience by booking an entire row of three or four seats for themselves, either at the check-in or at the gate. Uh, available on flights Lufthansa, sorry LH506 and LH507 only. The upgrades will cost €220, Euros or uh, US dollars, uh, six, uh, sorry, $260, one-way with payment made by credit card. The seats will be for their private use for the duration of the flight and because it depends on how busy the flight is no advanced reservation is possible. As part of the service the passenger will receive a soft topper mattress, cushion and blanket. They'll also receive priority boarding which means they can uh, board the plane with business class passengers and settle into their row ahead of other economy passengers. The airline said that depending on customer feedback, they'll be looking at rolling out the concept across more intercontinental destinations on the Lufthansa Group network. Well, Lufthansa is in fact far from the only uh, airline offering a lie-flat option in economy. Air New Zealand was the first to offer it, uh, launching the concept back in 2010. Uh, The economy sky couch allows an entire row of seats to be transformed into a couch that could be shared with another adult or even a young family. It has since been copied by a number of different airlines around the world, including Airfront's budget subsidiary June and Thomas Cook uh, before their collapse. Um, Well, interesting, isn't it? And of course, with all this social distancing business going on all the flights i've been on during this time everyone's been boarding from the rear of the aircraft um so i don't know how that's going to work in in this situation here but uh, who knows it's a bit of a halfway house isn't it between economy and premium economy mm. well i suppose it, it means they can they,
1: they can they can pay a little t- i suppose they can generate a little tiny bit more revenue Four seats that were going to be laying around empty anyway, I guess. I suppose that's yes, it's uh, a, if,
2: if th- that's right. I mean, if, if they've if they know they're going to have a low <clears throat> uh, load factor on that sector, then yes, they will, will probably try to uh, to do that. So, yeah, interesting. We shall see. Indeed, yeah. It looks like would, would you
0: actually? be up for this actually, Matt? Because obviously, you know, you, you've always said that you kind of hate the coal economy kind of seat, you'd always love to try, fly business class if you could everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. if this If this was offered to you at a good price and you could have this for yourself
1: i mean we're, we're I, just... there is still the issue in the fact that because I am basically six foot tall that i i i still don't think I'd be able to lie completely over a whole row of seats if you see what i mean do you think because I think won't well, my legs still stick out at the yeah. end? I mean, four seats I'd be alright. Four I think. seats, yeah. But, but three seats, I mean, I, you know, so my my feet would essentially end up being in in the aisle, which is uh, n- which is not going to be tolerated, obviously, because of <laughs> know, people getting tripped up and, and all that kind of thing. But I mean, it, uh, on I'll on the rare flights, it
2: does, it, doesn't look it, that goes, comfortable to
1: me. <laughs> I mean, it looks more it looks more comfortable than than not than like you know having one seat to yourself and some of the the mm. best flights that I've ever had actually with Ryanair have been where I where there's like like where I've been lucky and the middle seat hasn't all the there was somebody next to me like initially but when we took off um, the person who I was sat next to would, would, would jump over a seat. And we ended up just both using the middle seat as like a table, you know, to put stuff and things like that. And those have been some of the, my most comfortable flights just where you've had, where you felt like you've got a bit more space because you can take the armrest up, for example, on your near side and just sort of relax a bit more, you know, feel a bit more comfortable. Would, would
0: you rather have the, the the better recline, Matt, have, a, have a more of a recline seat with a footrest that comes I mean, yeah, the, the short answer
1: is yes, but, I mean, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not going to get that, are you? Because these are economy... Mm. economy seats at the end of the day and of course uh the flights that we're talking about here i think john was just saying in your ear that they're like 12 hours long the, the, these particular mm. flights so you know it's mm. not available on 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 all routes but uh i mean you know if it's a good price it's it's got to be more comfortable And even if you could then you know you could uh, you, i suppose you could almost sit side saddle as well couldn't you then if you wanted to so you could make yourself more comfortable by propping yourself up against the window and and stuff like that so i suppose you know it does give it you more a options
2: out of all the uh, airline expressions I've ever heard, oh. side saddle is not one that I would in, uh, <laughs> okay. in relation to the airline You know vehicle. what I
1: mean. You're just trying so, to get I, me into trouble. On a I'll story. tell you what, guys, before,
0: <laughs> before we move on to the next part of the show, I'm just going to ask a quick question. Do you think, you know, for all of us here, because we're all going to fly again at some point, somewhere.
1: Speak for yourself.
0: Do you, do you, think, do you think when all this... Kind of, you know, when the, the vaccines rolled out, we've all been vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. Covid's been, been somewhere. Do you think that the airlines are going to be offering really mega deals on, you know, higher premium seats, business seats to get people back?
1: Honestly, I think no. Aircraft. I think they'll need so much because I I, I I personally feel that actually things are going to go the other way. Uh, I think it's there's going to be consumer demand when all this is over, and actually they'll almost be able to name their price within reason, mm-hmm. because people like I mean Carlos I mean how much would you pay to get on an aeroplane and go to Malta right now? <laughs> Right, but
0: considering we missed our trip this year, well, no, exactly. That—that's that, kind yeah. of my
1: point. You know, I mean, that's uh, to a, to a
0: certain point. I, yeah, you know, I wouldn't go. Wouldn't go silly. No, but
1: I bet right now you would pay more than you would ordinarily be prepared to pay but
0: a little bit more, yeah. not ridiculous amount, but I would yeah at back, i would I would pay more to you go
1: I mean, what about you, nev? I mean how, how, what's, what are your thoughts here Well,
2: I think that what 's happened here, of course, just imagine the revenue that they have lost, the yeah. airlines have lost since the start of all this back in March uh, of this year it 's absolutely phenomenal, and don 't forget on the long haul sectors. Uh, Economy seats, um, whilst they are all very affordable for the likes of you and me and everybody else, um, you know, they don't make any money for the airline. They Mm -hmm. only make the money in the business and first class section and a little bit in the premium economy, maybe. But of course, are businesses now going to review the way they do their flying? A little bit, possibly, um, you know, but I still think there is a massive value. In those face-to-face meetings, and I think we're all a little bit fed up of the the virtual meetings at the moment. So I am mean, certainly might, might be a bit of a rush for that, possibly. So we'll yeah. have to yeah. Every so they, Friday
1: they... night, I have these muppets on a video every Awfully. Friday, <laughs> 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 and then Saturday night
3: they, you've got to do it. And, and then
1: Saturday back. night, there are these two guys that are busy fighting with each other, making a load of row. Honestly, it's just <laughs> like ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, sorry, Pip's just saying in the chat room here. Three seats doesn't work. Only uh, only four just does for six foot people. Uh, did it last week on the way back from DFW, which is from Dallas, uh, Fort Worth. Uh, Dallas, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. As I say, I, 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 he says using his words carefully here. This is where I, I, I'd still probably do it because of that 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 ability to sort of, you know, I, I'm going to say the word again, side saddle, uh, just to excite Nev. Um, but <laughs> actually, know, just before
0: like, before we move on to the next yeah. sec, next segment, all I'm going to say on this subject is if the seats of the same size and as they were back in the 80s uh, and early 90s we wouldn't be having this discussion now but anyway
1: no indeed. so uh, moving oh, okay.
0: <laughs> moving there. on to the next part of the show nev this uh, this one's uh, in your hands
2: Oh, yes. Right. Well, you may have, uh, if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, you'll have seen the interview that we did with Neil sorry, Cl- uh, Cl- uh, Cloughley of uh, Faraday. So in the final part of this interview, uh, Neil speaks with Carlos about the importance of pushing the boundaries of aircraft design and how new technology has enabled Neil's team to think outside of the box when it comes to de- uh, designing the new Bihar aircraft.
4: If you're going to push the boundaries, if we're going to do things new, let's push the boundaries. Um, What's interesting is with CFD, with Computation Fluid Dynamics, you can now do stuff that would have taken you two years to do in a wind tunnel in a very short process. So if we now have got the capability to look at things that people had ignored previously because, oh, it's too draggy, it's too that, actually think about the mission profile of what you want to do. And is it capable of doing that? And what we wanted was incredibly short takeoff and landing. So when we talk stall, we're talking 300 metres. When we're talking payload, we're talking 5 tonnes. So we take the footprint of the Chinook and we say we want to lift more than the Chinook, we want to be going further than the Chinook, we want to be quieter than the Chinook, we want to be cheaper to buy than the Chinook, and we want to be cheaper to operate and maintain than the Chinook. If we can do that, granted we cannot land on the side of a mountain, that's the one bit we can't do, but at 300 metres we can land on the dirt road going up to it. So if that's what we do, then great. We have managed to cure 95% of the mission criteria, and so if we could supply 32 of our aircraft for the cost of three Chinooks, now we're starting to get into economics that make a ton of sense, especially for our new aircraft carriers, where this could be the first fixed-wing aircraft onto the carrier of any meaningful size, other than the F-35B, that doesn't require cats and traps. So from... That was close. Uh, from a logistics perspective, um, the ability to move stuff to and from your carrier in deep water, then having an, an asset that can do that, rather than potentially having to go and spend a an lawful lot of money on tilt rotor type technology, then this is something that is, is something that we're going after. So it's a whole range and spectrum. Do you think going
0: going forward, with all the different various uses of the aircraft that you, you're planning, do you think as well
4: you could possibly? But have bolt-ons, so you could have a search and rescue version? Oh absolutely, or, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean it's, it's part and parcel of what we're doing, For I'll give you one example um, we currently have $30 million helicopters carrying a giant inflatable bag above our aircraft carrier, it's called the Crow's Nest was a system on the seeking and that $30 million Merlin 101 asset is a submarine hunter-killer that is what it's best at uh, it's good at going and rescuing pilots and things have dropped in the drink we should not be using that asset to hold a radar and hold a, a defence system. So the fact that you've got an aircraft that can take off and land, go much further, and go north, south, east, and west with four aircraft, put your dome of protection beyond the horizon, outside of any incoming threat zone, to give your F-35s chance to intercept, but do that autonomously. Do it pilotlessly. and The aircraft will be fully unmanned capable. Um, yeah, as you on. said, it's going, to be, it's, it's going to be a part of the, uh, part of the aircraft's design. Yeah. Just, just explain a bit about how that's going to work. Well, uh, again, logically, if you're doing anything from a clean sheet perspective, the ability to cover several roles makes a ton of sense. We know that the military around the world have got what's called a tooth-to-tail ratio problem, where we have a limited number of assets with an ever-growing number of jobs and responsibilities to do. So, for example, drug interdiction work uh, off the coast of a place like Belize, Is it sensible for us to have a frigate with a Wildcat helicopter doing drug interdiction work when actually we need that frigate in the Baltic, in the Med, in the Pacific, in the Channel, in the North Sea, wherever we really do need that asset, um, that's what we should be doing. So if we can now start to use more cost-effective assets to go and do what are fairly mundane tasks, that doesn't need to be piloted. A pilot is a very skilled, expensive asset. And if it's a mundane task that can be done autonomously and unmanned, why wouldn't you do it? Our history and background comes from the military UAV business, so it was, it was logical we'd always have an unmanned variant, um, but we have an unmanned variant that can carry an awful lot of payload. So there's a whole host of roles. Search and rescue, airborne early warning, um, patrol, um, pilot recovery, um, all sorts. There's, there's lots of things we're looking at, um, fire tanking, the wildfire fighting and things. It's, uh, it's an ex- it's exciting period. We've just basically got the core asset, And I think the last core asset we had in our armed forces in the UK was the Gazelle probably, Uh, RAF, Army, Navy, operating. Whereas what we're saying here is there is a single-point asset where the cost of engineering, the training of the engineering teams to look after them, the components are all single-point origin. How they then use it, how the SF guys will use it differently to how the Navy use it differently, how the RAF, how the Army use it, that's down to them. They can have a kit out. To the way that they need it to operate, which is super important for the joint chiefs. So they've got to have that ability to bespoke an asset to what they need, but we also need that cost economics benefit of having all the core components the same under the main asset. So yeah, that's, that's part and parcel of what we're doing. So looking forward to kind of the the, the day when
0: you, you you released it, it's into commercial service. Where do you see the, the design itself or possibly
4: going in the future? A large,
0: larger aircraft? There, or? There's the
4: billion dollar question. I got asked this uh, not so long ago by somebody saying, are you going to do a bigger version, 60 seat, 70 seat? Well, I mean, firstly, part 25 is an incredibly difficult class to go into. Mm. You are talking billions and billions to do part 25 aircraft. Um, for this technology, we don't think that makes any sense right now. Let's start smaller, let's prove it, let's yeah. go through and, and get this rolling. So... That was off the cards first and foremost. Secondly, once you start going to those bigger assets, what you're actually describing is a different mission profile, which means you do need to go higher. You do need to go faster, in which case you wouldn't necessarily use the triple box wing, because it's, that's not what it's designed for. So if we were to do a different aircraft for a, a bigger role or a faster role or something like that, it won't look like the Bihar. It will look like something else. Do we have something in mind? Yes, we do. In the fullness of time, that may come. Um, but let's get the bihar up and going first. So this is going
0: to be a global player that'll be available in in all countries across well, across the globe. But one of the most important things I think you've said to us is the fact that you're bringing this producing this manufacturing this in the UK because as we know we've lost pretty much everything that you know we, we used to produce in the UK is produced overseas now. So
4: that to you I think you say is a very important part of this whole, it's massive. whole product. I mean it's it's part of the whole driver of what we're doing. Um, I don't know what happened to our aerospace industry, at what point did we agree that we would be happy with a percentage of. The day that we agreed to have a percentage of, we gave up our entire history and heritage. We are amongst the very best in the world at producing aerospace technology and aircraft. The history is all around us, I mean some of the greatest aircraft of all time are sitting surrounding us here, many of which British designed and built. So. Why can't we do that again? Well, of course we can. Um, We've seen Boris Johnson, the new Prime Minister, is talking about his Jet Zero Council and his views for Net Zero Flight for the Future, which we fully endorse and support. And more importantly, we're at a time where a lot of the bigger companies are having to lay staff off. There is a huge pool of talent out there that we really want to employ. We want to get out there and give these engineers jobs the security over the next five years of working on a brand-new aircraft type and getting it out there and flying the flag. I had the great honour and privilege of representing the UK last year in Oslo as part of a UK trade and industry um, trade delegation visit to the Norwegian government. And for me, it's huge, the fact that we can fly the flag and say, it's a British aircraft, British designed and built. We're going to employ new technology standards in how we build it. So again, if you're building a sustainable aircraft, there's no point building it with unsustainable methods. So what we're going to be doing is using sustainable methods to actually build the aircraft as well, brand new factory 4.0 type technology to really make the process as streamlined as possible, but to create those jobs, create that security in the supply chain for something that is homegrown. Um, And, yeah, we have an announcement coming up in the not-too-distant future, which I think might surprise a few people. So, yeah, exciting days. Your father, Neil, must be incredibly proud of what you've uh, achieved. He's told me that, and it's it's an emotional one because we won, as I, as I mentioned briefly before, we, we won an Innovation Award in 2016. And to have him next to me on the, the stand, it was more about him. Um, he was light years ahead of the competition. We were messing around with a dog of a UAV called the Phoenix um, in the early 90s. It was useless. And we're, we haven't learned many of our lessons and a lot of that time since. So basically... Um, He was so far ahead of the game, and I think that basically what we've recognized uh, on that particular awards night was he was right. Everything he was working on was absolutely spot on and was correct. Just as we found out that Mitchell was right with the Spitfire in 34. Just as we found out that actually that TSR-2 behind us would have been one of the world's most advanced aircraft in the world we discovered that Barnes-Wallace wasn't barking mad with the idea of bouncing a bomb across water. We have got the natural pioneers and the innovators in this country, but what we've always failed to do is to properly back them and support them. So a lot of it was taking up his mantle. The fact that we've managed to survive six years, and somebody said something to me, or not to me, but it was on social media, and I think it was one of the guys from Shark Tank. It was something along the lines of... If you look for the companies that not only survive this pandemic, but actually show growth in a pandemic, that is a company that you definitely need to be watching and be a part of. And that was so important for me. I thought we have got to really take this opportunity to grow the business hard now. We've got to really get the backing in and show that we've got the demand. The fact that COVID has, and we're socially distant, so the fact that we're not in masks is because we are socially distanced in a very big open uh, airflow environment. Um, and as soon as we finish filming, we'll be fully masked up as he we will. walk around. Um, but is the fact that if you look at how we uh, go forward and, and the things that we do, yeah, is he proud? Is he is he pleased with what we've been able to do? I think so. Um, but for me personally, he's still alive. He's on our advisory board, and the day this aircraft takes off for the first time from here at Duxford, it's where we'll do the prototype flight. Um, that's going to be an emotional day, and I want him stood right next to me, which is why it is oh so important, of why we need to get the funds to get this thing going, because he's 75, 76, he won't like me saying that now, um, but he's (laughs) he's getting on in a few years, and you just don't know what's around the corner, you don't know what happens and for me, it, it will be a huge day to do that, and it will be a very drunken evening thereafter, <laughs> I can tell you that as well. So uh, those who are going to be involved in and around them, you guys will be part of it. you come down and see it and, and be a part of that whole process. Um, yeah, I apologize now for my behavior later in the evening because I won't make any sense. Um, but there'll be no flying involved. But there'll so be no right. flying involved at that point. No. So, um, but no, it is, it is a family legacy mission here that we're doing. Um, the aircraft will take care of itself. Um, I mean, some of the numbers that we're doing on this thing, to give you an idea... 16 degrees angle of attack and at 40 knots it's still lifting and for because an aircraft of that, of, that because of that wing design because the wing design. Yeah. it does the job it's designed to do um, and of course when it stops lifting on the top wing and it's no longer lifting on the middle and we've still got some in the bottom wing it pushes its nose over and it doesn't stall so these are all design features of this aircraft that are designed for safety redundancy for capability for the job it has to do and it's it'll do the job on the, it'll do exactly what it says on the tin Of that, I have no doubt. We've just got to get there. So we're going to start to wrap up, but uh, just for the benefit of
0: everyone watching, um, where can the listeners find out more about this amazing aircraft?
4: Right, well, obviously, first of call is the website, so www.faradair.com. That's where we put out the majority of our our latest news. Um, We're also on LinkedIn, and we're on social media, on Twitter and things like that. Um, So we'll be keeping the announcements out there. People are welcome to sign up to our uh, newsletter subscriber, which we haven't haven't even got it launched yet. This is part of a new feature we've got on the website. So apologies for the delay on this. We are getting to it. Um, think, um, but yeah, it's it's really if they want to reach out to us, contact us via the website. Um, if there are angel investors, if there are people with corporations who want to become part and involved in the project, want to fly the flag, want to get behind a British aircraft manufacturing project get in touch with us we'd love to have the conversation with you well
0: although we can't support you financially Neil I mean obviously we'll support you as much as we can with the show and obviously follow the progress um with with the beer and uh, on there and it'd be great to see obviously like you say it'd be great to see the day when it's out there at Duxford where we are here now on on that
4: tarmac ready to uh, to take off at the end of the day uh, was most people will say it's it's the touchy-feely element it's the bit that once you can see it smell it touch it you you understand much more we have got to get to that point as quickly as possible we have seen companies in germany uh get back with 300 million and be 500 staff and they came two three years after us in america similar story um we have got to get ourselves into a position where we compete internationally a lot of that comes down to financing and if we can get that sorted out We'll get this aircraft on the ramp. We'll get it flying and it will be amongst, I'm sure, other aircraft as well. But we'll be there flying the flag and a British aircraft. Yeah, exciting days right now. It really is good. We've got one last question for you,
0: Neil. And it's a kind of put-you-on-the-spot question. Oh, I like this. But we ask, everyone we, we interview on the show, we ask the same question. And obviously with your background, it's a proper, I, I have a rough idea what it could be. But given the opportunity or chance to, to, say, go out here now on this airfield and fly any
2: aircraft, Ooh. be
0: it commercial, right. GA, military, anything, retired, still flying in service, and you could go out there now, jump in, what would that be?
3: Ooh.
4: Too difficult. You're going to have to break you can it down. You're have I can two. can have two. Okay. <laughs> if it's piston-engine aircraft... Um, Apparently, I don't fit into a Spitfire and the two seat Spitfire at six foot four. Apparently, it's six foot two limit. Haven't heard that confirmed. If that's the case, got to be the P51 Mustang. P51D from that. So that's a definite. But if it's pointy and fast, give me a seat in the back of an SR 71. If I could sit in an SR 71 and go and see the curvature of the earth. Uh, if anybody's watched that video of Major Gibson, I think it is, where he talks about the air traffic control intercept with the guy who's in the F-15 or something like that and there's a guy in a Bonanza, and he pipe That's a great video and I had the great pleasure. There are certain things in my, my background and growing up that I've, I've had the great privilege to be inspired by. Um, one of my first jobs was in Colnebrook, so when Concorde took off, the blue flames would kick off literally just above the door as it went off New York, huge. Big inspirational moment. I saw the SR-71 at Mildenhall when it did its bubble bounce. Came in, flat chat, the bubble formed around it and it just backed off at the last second, so it didn't punch through the sound barrier. That was the meanest looking thing I've ever seen coming in at speed. It was fabulous. I went to STS-86, I was at the nighttime launch of Atlantis for the mission that went to get Michael Foll at Kennedy. So I was seven miles away from the pad, round the lagoons, breathtaking experience at nighttime. Wow. If anybody if you've never had the chance to go and see a nighttime rocket launch, I highly encourage it. It was It was the most electric thing I've ever experienced because not only have you got Challenger in the back of your mind, you're hearing the countdown, it's all wired on the PA system, but at night, when the thing clears the tower and everybody's counting down and zero and lift off and you hear nothing. And then it clears the tower and there is a light break like it's midday. I mean, it's bright yellow all around you. You're like, what on earth? And this thing's going off. And 13 seconds later, you get that first wave. And it was like... Roman candle, stroke, thunderous engines, throat, chestnuts in a fire, crackling, spitting, (laughs) banging, your rib cage is shaking, the ground is shaking, this thing's going off. Three minutes later, he's off over the eastern seaboard, and he's doing 16,000 plus miles an hour. And you look at that and you just go, wow. So that's an inspirational moment. You think, this is incredible. But in recent times for me, two of the most important things I've happened most recently were one Philips Baumgartner jumped from space. The whole world was watching that certifiable lunatic, fair play to the guy, (laughs) jumping from space and setting that record. That was amazing. But Elon Musk. Now, I use Elon as a great motivating factor because 18-odd years ago, he was talking to people who said, no, 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 you can't do this. This isn't your game. You've got no experience doing this. You've never done this before. This is not your bag. He's now flying missions for those same people. He proved them wrong. Uh, In fact, the car that is in space at the moment that was sent out, I think I've test driven. So I drove the Tesla (laughs) prototype in uh, Burlingame in about, I think it was 08 or something like that. I think that's the one he's fired in space. But anyway, um, going to the point, that double rocket landing of reusable rockets. Mm. In our lifetimes, I think that's one of the aviation moments of our lifetimes. To see that happen, which was always science fiction it showed that not only are new technologies and new methods and new ways of doing things possible, but for me, I listen, to the, I listen to the factory. If you listen to his workers on that live feed, they go absolutely bananas. If we can build a team that is that enthusiastic about the Bihar and we've got supporters and guys out there who really want to help us and get this thing going forward, let's build that atmosphere. Let's build something that we can get really behind um, and, yeah, that's, so SR-71, P-51, and, and ours. Of course, I've got to add our aircraft in there.
0: <laughs> well, Neil, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Um, I want to thank you on behalf of all the team uh, for taking a, a huge chunk out of your day today to to speak to us today. No it's, been, it's been an absolute pleasure being here. And, you know, we want to wish you all the absolute very best for the future with the Bihar, and, and be, we can't wait to see this. Uh, aircraft flying
4: i look forward to having as many people here as possible to come and watch it fly for the first time so thank you ever so much and uh yeah we'll keep you posted yep and thanks for coming on the show and and we hope to see you again soon be a pleasure take care thanks a lot
1: if you want to take your knowledge to the next level sign up for a subscription at the a320 lounge Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real-time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit
2: a320lounge.com.
1: Oh I mean I I'm sad that series is over actually because it's been absolutely fascinating it really has. And yeah Neil's
2: all... enthusiasm is uh, very mm. infectious isn't it and uh, it is uh, gosh I wish them all the very best with this project. Absolutely. I can't wait. So, to see it. It, it's it's literally groundbreaking
1: isn't it? I mean it, it, you know this this is going to be one heck of an achievement. Um you know and and, the, and the, they're talking about getting it in the air not that far away are they? Yeah, 2024
2: 2024 yeah. all being well and then uh, in full production uh 2026 uh, so yeah let's just keep our fingers crossed that uh, all goes well he's got all the right ingredients but as always yeah funding is everything for these indeed
0: that and, then, and he's incredibly enthusiastic as yeah, well he's absolutely. very yeah. enthusiastic about the whole project indeed. so which is important but a big uh, welcome to everyone who's joined us from Airshow World. We've got a mm, uh, few people in the nice chat room. room hello, Phoebe. Joined us from Airshow uh, World. Hello. hello to you all. We've got D- uh, DJ Wolf as well. Yeah, Miles High.
1: <laughs> oh, my,
0: GB's Model Zone. Hello to you, Miles wow. High. at yeah, Phoebe Stern. Yeah, hello to you all. Welcome, welcome to uh, welcome to, to the show. Welcome, yeah, welcome, welcome to the family. Yes. Oh, yeah, and
1: uh, Ryanair yeah. one Oh my. Hello to you. Oh I wonder, I wonder if that is him. Do you, th- do you think it'll be O'Leary himself? Wonder. Do you reckon he's just popped in? Yeah. No, no, he's he's coming around yours for Sunday lunch, Matt. Is he?
3: Oh, good, mm, lovely. Yeah.
1: right. I mean, show him about the restrictions, you know. And the well, it is your out. birthday. <coughs> well, <coughs> anyway, we moving you on. Shut up about that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Told you I'm going to be 43 for another year, I've decided. I <laughs> know, oh, it's Matt's
0: birthday Sunday. Stop anyway, moving on with <laughs> uh, the next part of the show. If everyone's ready, we're going to
1: do some military news. Are we? Okay, all right, then, lovely. Here we go. Oh, my God.
0: Her story comes to us from TheAviationist.com. And, you know, one of the things I love about our producer, John, is the fact that he does do such great things with our show notes and puts a pronunciation guide in. So I'll try and yeah, murder, uh, work get this right. That only works if you read it, though, Carlos. It's that's... best <laughs> <you can. laughs> So the headline on the story then, the Japan Air Self-Defense Force retires its last F-4EJ Phantom fighter after 48 years of service. So the Japan Air Self-Defense Force, or J-A-S-D-F, celebrated the retirement of the F-4EJ Kai Phantom II after 48 years of service on November the 20th this year at the... uh, Haikuri Air Base. The event saw the participation of the current and former oh, John, uh, former Phantom Squadron commanders uh, JASDF generals and base personnel who remembered the achievements of the F-4 and discussed the future after its retirement after the ceremony. Three Phantoms performed a last flight over the airbase, which must have been really good. The last uh, squadron flying the Phantom, uh, the 301 Kotai Samurai or Tactical Air Squadron prepared two specially coloured aircraft for the F-4EJ Farewell. The first one, 37-0315, shows yellow and black bands on the upper fuselage, wings and external fuel tanks, and a shark mouth and the writing Go For It 301 Squadron on the exterior of the air intakes. And the frog, the Japanese common toad found on the Mount Snooks... Scuba, uh, near Hakuri, uh, the unit's insignia on the tail. The second one, 07-8436, is a farewell special colour with blue, cyan, white and black bands on the upper fuselage, large wings and external fuel tanks and shark mouth. Uh, The writings, Phantom Forever on the exterior of the air intakes and Thank You Phantom 2 on the upper surface of the wings and Phantom Spook on the tail. Uh, Before becoming the last squadron to fly the Samurai Phantom, the 301 Heikotai was the uh, squadron that introduced the F 4EJ into the Japan Air Self Defense Force in 1972. Well, me and you, Matt, went about then. Uh, 301 Hikote is uh, now set to move to Misawa Air, F- Misawa air Base uh, to become the second F 35A unit. The uh, F 4EJ Phantom were initially very limited uh, in their air to air capabilities. And without air-to-air refuelling and air-to-ground capabilities, being limited to carry the uh, built-in M61 cannon and AIM-9 sidewinder missiles for self-defence only. In 1982, work started for a service life extension program, uh, which resulted in the F-4EJ's k the upgrade notably notably retrofitted the missing air-to-air refueling and air-to-ground ship capability as well as air, uh, was complete air-to-air capability. Uh, Earlier this year, the Japan Air Self-Defense Force retired the RF-4E, and RF-4EJ operated by the 501 Hikote or Tactical Reconnaissance Squadron at the Hakari Air Base. Uh, we'll get there some way. Uh, which are among the world's most famous uh, because of their trademark shark mouth on the unit's woodpecker emblem on the tail and European, Vietnam, and blue offshore camouflage schemes. If you want to know more about uh, that, check out the uh, episode 309, military story number three uh, of the show, a great episode with Captain Nick and Al, which was also the last show we had with anyone on other than Matt in the studio. During the last month of the 301 Hakotei flying, the Phantom, the base, also hosted some F2 Vipers uh, Zeros to support the squadron. And also, there's a link that we'll put in the show notes as well for all this, so if you want to take yourselves uh, over to our show notes, which are available on the various download platforms and on our website, uh, all the links will be in there for you to have a look at all the pictures. But I think Matt's been playing out some rather fetching pictures whilst I've been reading that story. Yeah, I'm
1: good like that, you know. Yeah, I read the show notes and everything. I'm eyes like, well, posh, man. (laughs) You are very good. You are very good, Matt. I'm very obedient. Anyway, Nev, you've got a, a bit of a sad story next.
2: Yes, and uh, but of course uh, we've got some pronunciation challenges with this. Oh, oh have yes. you? Oh, that's well, nice. How is your Italian? Just out of interest. Well, yes, it's not very good. Bonjour, Ned. Bonjour. <laughs> Lovely, Let's that's, that's how all go. nations
1: offended. Good.
2: Well, Lovely. we having a word with Armando after this, I must say. Uh, but this <laughs> is from the aviationist.com. Website Farewell Huey, the 5th Army Aviation Regiment, is the first unit to phase out its AB205 Huey helicopters after completing the transition to the NH90. Uh, The 5th Army Aviation Regiment of the Italian Army handed off its AB-205 Huey helicopters on November the 17th, just gone after completing the transition to the NH-90. The AB-205, officially designated as UH UH-205A Combat Support Helicopter ESC-3, is the Italian license-built version of the Bell-205 UH-1D Huey, that has been in service since 1966, assigned to the 27th Group Mercurio, uh, the Fifth Army uh, Aviation Regiment Regal, uh, named after the, uh, anonymous star of the Orion constellation. And all and all Italian Army aviation units, are traditionally named after stars and constellations. Is one of the two aviation regiments, of the Air Mobile uh, Brigade Friuli, and the other being the Seventh Army. Aviation Regiment Vega. Uh, the unit celebrated the event with a last flight of three UH-205As uh, from Casara della Delisa uh, airfield, escorted by an AH-129D Mangusta attack helicopter and visited uh, Rivalto AB uh, Campo, uh, Campo Formido, uh, Managgio, uh, Aviano AB and La Comina, uh, the airfields where the Huey operated in the Fruelli Venezia Giulia region before heading to Viterbo, home of the uh, Army Aviation Training Center. The AB205 flew in northeastern Italy for 51 years, being delivered for the first time in Casarza. Uh, in 1969. Soon after its delivery, the AB-205 Huey became instrumental to disaster relief operations after the Friuli uh, earthquake in 1976, flying more than 1,000 rescue and transport missions in support of the population. Since 1982, the helicopter took part in many operations abroad, namely in Lebanon, Namibia, Somalia, the former Yugoslavia, uh, Kosovo, and Afghanistan. The Huey was upgraded in 2010 uh, for a better protection whilst operating in Afghanistan, becoming uh, UH-205A mission equipment package amongst the systems that were added during the upgrade. A Doppler global navigation system, new radios, ballistic protection and armoured seats, an infrared signature suppressor for the engine exhaust, radar, laser and missile warning systems and chaff flare uh, dispensers. Uh, The UH UH-1058 will now continue to serve in other countries across, uh, sorry, other units across the country until its retirement which has not yet been set. The Airmobile uh, Brigade has fully transitioned to the UH UH-90A, but it should be joined soon by the new UH UH-169B as the AW-169 light utility helicopter has been officially uh, designated. As we said earlier this year, uh, the aviationist, uh, the the UH UH-169B will replace the A-109, AB-205, AB-206, AB 212 and AB 412, which currently perform in the combat support role for the Italian army how i got through that story i shall never know <laughs> i but, feel i feel a
1: sternly worded email coming in i don't know but it's interesting
2: to note how old this helicopter is i know is. i know frightening isn't it almost more than 50 years it's been going incredible. Yeah. It, incredible.
1: it's funny isn't it how i mean some things like show their age don't they you know you mean some some things you look at and you think yeah that that's 50 years i mean cars for example i mean you look at a car from 50 years ago and you think blimey that you know there's been some real innovations there um but i mean you you look at that it, it really doesn't shout at you. I mean, I guess, I guess, if you were sat in the cockpit, you might think, "Oh yeah, there's been, you know, it, it needs a bit of an upgrade." But it, it, you know, it still looks like a helicopter, even though it's 50 years old. I know that sounds a really strange thing to say.
0: <laughs> Built to last, though, Matt. I think Built to last, were. yeah. Built to truth? last, and they they took a hell of a pounding. Um, yeah, I bet during the war as well when these are used
1: so. indeed okay on to the next story and this is uh, uh, with flight global and the headline is how the world's air forces came to the rescue in a very troubled 2020 well, is there something going on in 2020 i, I had not noticed uh, anyway military personnel are trained to always expect the unexpected but even the sharpest minded defense planners could not have foreseen the swift pace and staggering impact of the coronavirus pandemic on during 2020 i wish i'd sort of read this I, should, I feel like i should have a, a beer every time I say that word at the moment (laughs) but uh, rather than having normal day-to-day activities or combat commitments at the front of their minds, the world's air forces armies and navies have had to rapidly react and adapt to the health crisis as it swiftly swept the globe after emerging in China's Wuhan province Uh, the US Air Force, uh, the USAF uh, called on assets including the Lockheed C-5M the Boeing C-17 and Lockheed Martin C-130 to perform such work while European Air Forces deployed Airbus Defence and Space, the A330 multi-role tanker transports and the A400M airlifters. Uh, along with commercial airliners, these assets were also used to repatriate national stranded overseas by snap lockdowns and to conduct medical evacuation tasks. With every part of the globe affected, most militaries also made full use of their combat helicopter fleets to transfer vital equipment to help Uh, move critically ill patients to hospital. While the commercial air travel sector all but closed down as the effects of the COVID-19 spread, uh, Air Force mobility assets have rarely been in greater demand. Another example of Air Forces responding to crises was the reaction to a devastating explosion in the Lebanese capital, Beirut, on the 4th of August. Multiple nations conducted relief flights, among them uh, Brazil, which delivered supplies using its Air Forces new Embraer uh, KC390 Transport. Underscoring the importance of such assets, uh, the Syrian fleets database uh, shows that the number of in-service transport aircraft increased by 36 over the 12-month period since our last snapshot to a new total of 4,301, some 8% of the total fleet. Overall, the global active military inventory contracted by 327 aircraft during the same time to 53,000. 563 as of the 30th of september this represented an overall cut of 0.6 percent up from 0.2 percent downsizing seen between 2019 and 2020 i mean it's fair to say that the air forces in general i think you know i mean it's just it's weird times i think it's the best way to describe it isn't it very very weird times i mean who'd have thought i mean i know um for example, uh, commercial airliners obviously have been have always carried freight, but never to the level at which they've been doing um, of late. Mm. I mean, it, you know, the whole industry is is just in such a in such turmoil at the moment, isn't it? Really.
0: Mind you, you're talking about the C-130s on the, actually on this story. Yes. We've had, um... Quite a number of those go. Quite busy uh, skies are above uh, East Anglia and Matt live mm, this week. Yes, there's very been so, a yeah. lot of C130 action. Indeed, um, in
1: fact, actually, Stu I think is in the chat room at the moment because he, he's he's done a few lives from um, from Milton Hall, hasn't he? For that same mm. sort of, um, you know, there's um, what what have they got in Milton? Is it just the? It's, it's the Osprey? They have got some other bits and pieces there as well, haven't they?
0: They've got the uh, KC135s, mm. the four engine tankers that were based on the 707s there. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've also got the C one thirty J and the MC 130s s have got there as well.
1: Just, you're saying it's my, obviously because you keep saying it's my birthday on Sunday, but apparently it's Stu's birthday next week as well. So there we oh, yeah, okay, see? okay, there we go. So anyway, right uh, on to the last story, Carlos.
0: Yeah, this last one. This one is uh, from theaviationist dot com, and uh, of course, it's a bit scary. This one because it's involving the word nuclear. Oh, but an F thirty five A has dropped an inert. I will point out it's inert, Uh, B61-12 nuclear bomb during a supersonic flight for the first time. So the test with the B61-12 is also the first F-35A dual-capable aircraft test to be shown in an unclassified video, which I think Matt may well play out a little bit in a while. Uh, Just a few months after the first videos, the F-35 testing uh, the nuclear bomb in 2019 for the F-35A dual-capable aircraft program were released. The Sandia National Laboratories announced that the F-35 dropped for the first time an inert B-61-12 nuclear bomb from its internal bomb bay during a sup- supersonic flight. According to the press release, the test took place on August the 25th, 2020, at about 10,500 feet above the Tanapa test range. With the inert bomb hitting the target area after about 42 seconds of flight. The test was the first performed by Sandia, the National Nuclear Security Administration, at the Los Alamos Nat- uh, National Laboratory, and the US Air Force. Sandia oversees the design and engineering for the non nuclear components of the United States nuclear stockpile including the new b61-12 and the integration of the complete weapon on the aircraft the f-35 uh, dca according to public information should achieve the nuclear certification in january 2023 pretty much in line with earlier test reports that scheduled the completion of the integration works between 2020 and 2022 around 480 bombs will reportedly be upgraded to the new configuration As already explained in a previous article at The Aviationist, the B61-12 represents the latest LEP, or Life Extension Program, upgrade to the B61 line of nuclear weapons that has already been extensively tested with the F-15E Strike Eagles of the 422nd Test and Evaluation Squadron back in 2015 life extension program or LEP will relate, uh, replace the B61-3, 4, and 7 and 10 mods with the 12 Along with the B83 will become the only remaining gravity delivered nukes in the inventory. The B61-12 will be compatible with the B2A, B21, the F15E and F16C and D, F16MLU, F35 and the PA-200 aircraft. The LEP increases the B61's accuracy so much that it will have the same capability against hardened targets as the much more powerful weapon is being, it's being replaced by. Here below, uh, well, say here below, here in the story, as you seen in the video there that Matt was playing, uh, you can see uh, after the bomb drop at the beginning of the video, you'll see uh, around about 30 seconds into the video, the spin rocket motors firing to improve stability, During the bombs' descent. And uh, obviously, Matt will put all the relevant links as always, uh, or John will as well, actually, our producer will put them in the relevant links in the show notes um, for the show. So you can watch that video again in case you missed it. So, yeah. Absolutely. Nuclear weapons. I thought we'd, I didn't think we
1: were having to have those things anymore no oh, we're getting getting rid no of those. they're they're never gonna go away are they you, in, in order for us not to require such things everybody's gonna all have to sit around a nice table mm-hmm. and like you know have a bit of a chat and let's be honest hey, i we swear can't, we can't do that at the moment and zoom Zoom will keep n- breaking up so it'll never you know <laughs> it'll never i work. swear our
0: new microwave downstairs has got a nuclear bleeding power station and something R- like right
1: it. okay Honestly, I don't, what, I don't know what to do with that information. Well, it, it nukes <laughs> everything we put in it. Yes. It's a microwave. What were you expecting? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's where we bring the military segment to a close for this week. Now, what's what's up next, Carlos? So, up next, then,
0: for everyone who enjoys this segment, as I know my father does, we're, uh, we're going to switch to the next segment uh, or part of the show, which is the Plain Truths, which uh, this week... Uh, is, uh, well, it's all about which is a better pilot, military or civilian. And this is a question that was put to Captain Al and Matt from Tony S.
1: Hello and welcome to Another Plane Truths. And this week we're going to be asking which pilot is better. Joining me, as always, to answer that highly controversial question is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. <laughs> Uh, Good evening. I'm absolutely dreading asking this question. Uh, This one has come in from Tony S, who is quite often in our chat room here, so I feel obliged to ask this question. And the tweet that I received yesterday afternoon... You're really a bit nervous about this, aren't you? uh, Nervous is not the word. Terrified, I think, is probably the correct answer there. Uh, So I'm going to ask it and just sit back and grab the popcorn like Pip suggested in said thread, which is uh, essentially, are pilots from a military background better? (laughs)
3: Okay, so you can take a a deep breath and relax uh, because I don't see this as a controversial subject at all. Right. First of all, pilots are pilots and aeroplanes are just the tools that we utilize to demonstrate our skills. Now, quite clearly, military pilots require a different skill set to civilian pilots. And there are also different roles in the military, so I'll just roll off a few. You've obviously got the fast jet fighter guys, then you've got the transport guys, and you've got those weird ones that fly those helicopter things. (laughs) Ah, those things from Hogwarts, you mean? (laughs) Yes. Um, So let's have a, a look at some aspects of that. Now, first of all, I can't speak on authority on this subject because I've never been a military pilot. But what I can talk about is my experiences in dealing with ex-military pilots. So quite clearly, if you are a fast jet pilot, you are used to operating at high speed with quite aggressive manoeuvring tendencies. So lots of G pulling and quite sort of combative by nature in how you operate the aeroplane. That's what it's designed for. It's designed to be thrown around the sky. Nobody in first class on an airliner will thank you for pulling 8G at 400 miles an hour <laughs> in some sort of weird top gun manoeuvre. Okay, That just is not acceptable. It's not going to be tolerated. And equally, when defending, you know, queen and country, sat there, you know, straight and level... Having a, you know, a cup of tea and eating your chocolate hobnob is not going to win you the war. Right. So very, very different skill sets. So let's have a look about how military pilots cope in the civilian world. So... Quite often, military pilots have difficulty in adapting. They have no problems with the flying aspects because that's common to us all. We, you know, we all know, you know, push the stick forward, cows get bigger, pull the stick back, cows get smaller. That's the same across all of it. One of the areas that quite often is a, is an issue is the aspects of being a commercial pilot. So things like passenger handling and all of the protocols, phraseology that we have. I'll come back to phraseology again in a minute, and just the basic mechanics of being an airline pilot. Another issue that some of the military guys have is that if they were single-seat fast jet, they're not used to working as part of a team, as a two- or three-crew team. Very often, very rarely three-crew these days. So when we look about how an aircraft is operated in a civilian airliner capacity. The whole thing is designed for two pilots. Yes, you've got a captain and a co-pilot, first officer, senior first officer, whatever. But we work together very much as a team. Now, the way that the dynamics work in fast jets, whether it be single seat especially, or slightly less so in a two-seat airplane jet, um, jet fighter, is that the roles are quite different. You don't have two pilots in a military fast jet. You'll have, like, a navigator in inverted commas, but actually a systems operator, the warfare guy. And then you've got the guy who is flying the airplane to get you there to set off the bombs and rockets or whatever. We have two pilots working together. So one of the problems that some of the military guys have is that of adapting to that kind of environment. Right, right. So I don't want to be unduly negative on the ex-military guys. So what are they good at in the civilian world? Well, first of all, they're good pilots. Secondly, they're very good at dealing with things that have been talked about quite a lot recently, which is dealing with upset recovery, because a lot of their training is at the edge of the envelope, you know, pushing it to the limit, the top gun type stuff, which we don't do as commercial airline pilots unless things go horribly wrong. So they're very good at doing that because they have practiced and practiced and practiced these sort of things so that the recovery techniques become instinctive. We in the civilian world have had some upset type events, so we're doing more and more training so that the responses can be instinctive. We've also talked a lot about basic flying skills being eroded in uh, civilian aviation, and and that's true because, uh, you know, truthfully... If you're flying nine hundred hours a year, you're going to be using a lot of automation because you can't hand fly an aeroplane for nine hundred hours a year. And the military guys, even in you know, full active role, don't do anywhere near that amount of flying. You know, they're lucky if they get, you know, a handful of hours in each week. So it's very, very, very different in that sense. Let's have a look about do civilian guys work well in the military the the reverse of what we've talked about and yeah fully enough we've got the same basic skills so yeah you can take someone who used to fly airliners and go and put them in the military typically it tends not to be the fast jet roles because that's a bit of a young guy's thing to be truthful and uh you know the other aspect is why would you want to take a huge pay cut and go and fly for the military? <laughs> that is true. That is true. It's, it's not
1: the double-edged sword that I feared, then, essentially. It's, at the end of the day, they have to do exactly the same qualifications as you, regardless of their background. So as long as they've passed those qualifications, they are, you're, you're more than happy to have them sat next to you in the left seat, essentially.
3: Absolutely. What we have to do when when ex-military guys uh, come to the civilian airliners is we have to take some of the rough edges off. So <laughs> um, so as, as an example, and I said to you, I'd come back to phraseology. In my experience, uh, a lot of the ex-military guys aren't too good on RT phraseology. Now, a lot of the time for them, it's kind of irrelevant because they're speaking to other people who speak the same language. Whereas, of course, for us, we're lucky. English is our mother tongue, but now we're talking to Spanish ATC, Italian ATC, Russian ATC, Chinese ATC. So the phraseology has to be spot on. So that's one area that uh, often they get they get picked up on, and also just the whole uh, dynamic of operating in a commercial environment. The military isn't around to make money, it's around to spend money, whereas in commercial flying, we're only there to make money.
1: <laughs> and on that bombshell, that's a perfect place to end. As always, Captain Al, many thanks. It's a pleasure. See, I was literally so terrified, but he's like, <laughs> I don't know why I was so worried that I was going to be offending people with that question, but actually, as, uh, as I suppose one should expect, an interesting answer, as always, from Al.
0: <laughs> uh, Stephen H uh, actually says uh, So to summarise Glider pilots are the best
1: Right okay I mean that, work, that Apparently. works Yeah 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 that, work, that works mm. for me uh, wh- yeah. what, what do you reckon Nev Who do you reckon's best military or <laughs>
2: Well as, as Al said the, the skill sets Although dif- different Ways of executing yeah. them the, You have to start off from a similar position don't you? True, so true Completely different things going on there But the um, You've got to have the coordination and, and the skill sets to begin with, haven't you? Yeah. And then you transition on to d- different parts of the courses uh, to do different roles. Indeed. Well,
1: and, that, and that, as Al was saying, of course, it's like you know, actually, military pilots are quite useful in a crisis. Uh, they're because they're quite experienced in these matters. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> mm. Indeed. Anyway, uh, right. Moving, moving on then, please, Carlos. Yeah,
0: next uh, part of the show. We've got uh, obviously the competition we had earlier on this year when we had the plane recliners uh, competition to win that voucher uh, from those guys. Uh, ah, pre uh, in episode three twenty-four, oh. <laughs> and uh, you can uh, hear Andrew van der Sarg's entry, who won the draw. He was uh, his entry was played out on episode three thirty. But we have got another uh, aviation in my life story to hear. Uh, this week and this week's entry has come from Stephen Howland
5: My name's Stephen Howland and I'm relatively a new listener sending my first bit of feedback in been listening from episode 297 um, after listening to another airline show and uh, ran out of listening to their podcast and the natural progression was to come on and found this show to be absolutely amazing. And I was extremely um, grateful to attend the 300th
3: show up in Heathrow, uh, where I met a great bunch of
5: people. It was a fantastic day, and if anyone gets the opportunity to go to one of these get-togethers after COVID, obviously, um, highly recommend it. Everyone is so friendly, so welcoming. It was a brilliant day. So I can't wait for the next get-together. Um, My love of aviation didn't start off too well, Um, I distinctly remember I was around about four years old, standing in the kitchen, heard a deafening roar over the top of the house, um, started bursting out crying, ran outside, and it was the Red Arrows. I obviously had no idea who they were at the time, most kids had been jumping up and down with joy, I was wagging my finger and shouting at them for making such a disturbance, so, uh, things didn't start off too well. Um, lucky enough, things did end up turning a bit better. I ended up getting my pilot's license later in life, and I absolutely adore aviation, it is my life. Um, I suppose my first proper step into aviation was a um, scenic tour. Dad took myself up and my brother, went up in an aircraft, can't quite remember what it was. It was probably something like a a 182. And um, not that I'd recommend this for anyone else to do if they take people up for the first time. Uh, The pilot did decide to do a full-intipid spin, which would put most people offline. But me being a bit crazy, I found it absolutely hilarious and couldn't wait to get back up again. So after that, it was the first flight abroad to Spain to sunny Benidorm, and uh, again, the whole trip to the cockpit, speaking to the pilots, um, absolutely loved it. And that that was me, I wanted to be a pilot. and going forward a few years, uh, first air show was Great Warbirds, a place called uh, Westmoreland, which has now been bulldozed and turned into a housing estate like most uh, airfields. Uh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I remember my dad telling me at the time to take this in if you might ever see anything like this again. And um, what they tried to do was bring as many First Second World War aircraft together to do do a spontaneous flyover and that image has imprinted on my memory for life and it was absolutely profound and the end of the air show was finished with the Vulcan delta wing uh, following the red arrows in very close formation um, in a delta wing formation and uh, it was a very special show for many reasons it was the last of the warbirds It was the last West Portland Air Show, and the first, uh, only the last air show I had to appreciate with my dad. Um, At that age, um, he saw the the, the passion I had for flying, and he rekindled one of his passions of flying. Um, There was the following year, he started taking up lessons uh, fixed wing, um, and then he tried microlites at Rochester Airfield, which was some half an hour away from where I lived at the time. Um, a couple of years after that, he didn't progress too far uh, into his PPL because he, he got ill with cancer and uh, he tried to fight cancer, but unfortunately lost his battle. Many years later, uh, I went to Biggin Hill and took my first lesson. Unfortunately, I, I was put off flying. Um, I was told not by an instructor, the instructor was an absolute amazing instructor pilot. Um, Love to meet him again, let him know how far I've come. Um, first lesson this gentleman took me up in a 152 within five minutes of flying he let me take controls um, I flew the rest of the flight even to the point of landing the Cessna uh, with a bit of a bump and he did ask why I was flying if I played flight sims because he knew I hadn't flown before because I was familiar with the controls which I said I did but then after landing with a bump I did say to him Unlike the flight sims, usually it ended with a big crack in the window screen and the plane engulfed in flames, which he did laugh at the time. But he didn't realise how much of an effect, again, that had on me. Um, I was absolutely ecstatic. Um, I cried with, with, with joy after that. Um, the, the privilege to be able to fly and to be able to land as well. Um, that was one of my aspirations in life um, and to fulfill that uh, it just well it choked me at the time um but the down the side of it was the flight ops so looking to take more lessons told me that there was no point in carrying on unless i was prepared to take a lesson every single week and um, on the money that I was earning at the time being an apprentice that was just impossible Um, so I just put it to the back burner uh, took it as an experience enjoyed it and didn't think much of it it wasn't until I got older met my wife got married she realised my love of aviation and said that you need to fly, just go up the airfield. So at the time, I'd moved very close to Rochester Airfield, the same airfield that I'd flew from. So I visited Rochester Airfield and spoke to a gentleman, Derek, who unfortunately since passed away, but he was an absolute legend. Um, he was flight operations and asking about gaining a PPL, he gave me the right information, and that is to go to your first lesson. If you enjoy it, go back again but do lessons as and when you can and when you can afford them and don't put undue pressure on yourself to to, uh, to take these lessons to get your PPL um, there is a time limit there is a three year limit to get your exams and your flying hours in um, and I did push right into that uh, limit I think I gained it th- about a month or two just before the three years however being a, a grass airstrip in taking into consideration of many people's shurdies, weather constraints, you know, if the grass is waterlogged, um, you've got problems there, and then you've got issues with just general weather, planes being out of tech, um, bookings, so, um, you know, it can take a while, but saying that, I still managed to get my PPL on... 48 and a half hours uh, which is extremely good and considering that there was some gaps between three months and I think not long after I got my first solo um, I didn't fly again for probably about two to three months uh, but it's, it doesn't take long uh, to get back into the swing of things so if you know I've never deter people and I'll always say that it's well within people's um, limitations to to go ahead and get their PPL um, and spread the cost. You know, it does seem expensive, but over three years, which I've done it over, you know, it's very manageable and very rewarding. So, um, yeah, uh, since I've had my PPL, um, I've had some fantastic flights. Been over to the two K in France. When I've been on holiday, I've managed to chart the flights and fly as pilot uh, and command and supervision, so I've flown in Hawaii, um, Hawaii. That was just jaw-dropping, and I, I look back on the footage of that many, you know, many times, and it just brings a smile to my, to my face. Um, but Iceland, that was, um, again, another another uh, aspiration of mine to, to, to visit Iceland to fly and um, initially I tried to visit Bunga, which was a fish, fish that had opened up, splurging volcanic um, lava everywhere but the weather said it wasn't going to happen so instead we had the opportunity of flying up towards the uh, northwest of the island um, doing something we can't do in the UK and that's uh, fly up to the ceiling height. the Cessna. Uh, flew around, took some amazing photographs. And then a little bit of aerobatics and a full incipient spin right back down to 2000. And uh, fly back into, uh, into Reykvig. So again, you know, there are no limitations when you get a new bill and I have a father-in-law, father-in-law with me in Hawaii and it was great to share that experience with him. More recently, I haven't been flying for a little while. I've um, had a young daughter and I like to spend the, most of my time that I can with her at the moment. Uh, did get an amazing experience when she was one. I uh, got her to, um, she, not that she'll ever remember it, but managed to get her in frame um, of the Vulcan, taking its penultimate last flight down on the south coast in Shell Ness, uh, which just happens to be the birthplace of British Aviation and uh, again it was quite a uh, profound moment because it brought back memories of spending that, that time with my, my father, watching the Vulcan on one of its last flights all the way back to um, '91. so uh, yeah that was, that was nice. So uh, when she gets a bit older and understands, I'd like to show the photograph. Going forward in the future, um, I haven't stopped with aviation. I do want to become an instructor. Um, I do hope things do change um, and make it more financially uh, feasible for PPL pilots to, um, to get into instructing. Um commercial wise unfortunately you know I've got a lot of friends uh, that have been struggling at the moment through the situation of COVID and um, I've, really my heart goes out to those pilots um, they have such a hard time getting to where they've got to for that to happen so you know fingers crossed for everyone in the industry um, that they do get back up there and flying again um, I know for one for sure myself that as soon as I'm um, able to fly, out, should we go back up there supporting the air industry? Um, and we all need to do that.
2: It's a very nasty disease, Covid, but
5: um, you know, with the right precautions, um, I would like to think things will go back to some form of normality. hope I haven't bored everyone too much now. Uh, I'm just going to wrap it up and say um, again thanks to um, Peter UK uh, to the invite to the 300 show um, and every show that I've listened to uh, it's a highlight of the week uh, when I can I love to watch it on YouTube uh, when life doesn't get in the way but um, your podcasts uh, keep me happy when I'm at work and um, you know, keep it up can't wait till the next to get together and see all the usual faces Uh, Until then, everyone be safe and uh, thank you for putting
1: up with my trouble. See you later. See, now he's mentioned the 300th there, and that that feels literally like a lifetime ago, Mm. doesn't it? I mean, you know what I like to refer to as pre-COVID. Now, I mean, it was just yeah, and he said he started listening as of episode three. Uh, 297 wasn't it he, he said at the, at the top there that when he when he started watching and uh, you know that just seems so long ago now doesn't it but uh, very much with you on on that one uh, Stephen we're looking forward to some kind of get together as soon as we've all been
2: vaccinated
1: yeah. and we're allowed out in public again can't wait
2: what we're going to do Nev what we're going to do what's the first thing we're going to do <laughs> oh uh, definitely a, a, a heavily alcohol fueled right okay <laughs> An alcohol-fueled production
1: meeting. Oh, I like the sound we're, we're, of that. We're, we're literally <laughs> just going to
0: hire hire a humongous hall. We're going to have a whole panel. We're right. Have speakers, karaoke, beer, wine.
1: Yeah, uh, are you organising this, are you, Carlos? Uh, it's yeah,
0: I I, I I I totally can.
1: Yeah, I'm up for that. <laughs> right, hundred okay. percent. Oh, anyway, it is time to start bringing the show to a close, but we want, just want to mention very briefly, if that's okay, everyone, we've got a bit of a, a special show uh, up our sleeves that we're, that's going to be going out over the Christmas week.
0: Yes, we have indeed. So we have got our special Christmas show. As you know, each year we put together our Christmas extravaganza show, and this year we're planning on making it, well, this we're just going to Push the bar and throw it through the, the stratosphere, and just because, see, uh, and see how long it takes for me
1: to have a nervous breakdown that 's what you uh, do to we are every uh, week we too. have
0: got an <laughs> awesome panel of guest hosts coming on the Christmas show this year, uh, including well party of guests, I should say <laughs> uh, joining us from all the, your favorite other podcasts, too many to mention, but we have got some, some big hosts from some of the biggest podcasts in the uh, in the glo- on the globe and uh, we have also got uh, a special thing this year which we haven't done before which is if uh, you are a patreon donator or you uh, donate to the show through paypal we are going to, uh, this year, as we do each year, we pre-record a Christmas show. But this year, for the first time, we're going to have a live audience watching us record the, the uh, Christmas audience, show, basically. like a Zoom yeah. audience. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, if you already donate through PayPal or Patreon, you would have received an email from us uh, to invite you to join us for the uh, christmas show to watch us uh, recording that so you'll literally be able to watch us well watch the chaos really i should say but also we have uh, managed to uh, ask and get back um one of our very vip guests from this year, so uh, she will be joining us for the christmas show we 're going to have Ariel Tweetow, who, for those of you who watched the Flying Wild Alaska series uh, will know that she was on that series and Ariel 's going to be joining us live on that uh, pretty or that recorded christmas show and uh she'll be having loads of fun with us on there and she's very much looking forward to joining us as well so if you want to become a patreon or a paypal donated just uh, check out the website you can find the links on there and you will get an invite as well to join us for that christmas
3: recording
1: so there we go indeed Uh, social media links if you aren't following us already on social media then why not make sure you are Uh, search your social media channel for at Plain Talking UK Uh, Facebook it's facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK Twitter is uh, the at Plain Talking UK Uh, YouTube is uh, go to the YouTube page search for Plain Talking UK you'll find us on there and uh, our WhatsApp number is working again I'm pleased to say so it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six that's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six and their messages can come straight through to the studio and we can either share them with the audience or as i say it's a way of sort of staring sharing stories and things with us uh like during the week when we're not on on air and we get a lot of new stories that are sent sharing is uh, absolutely alan loveday loads of people send us messages uh on the whatsapp to to sort of Uh, to to help us with the stories and uh, uh, if you're not using whatsapp and you'd rather use good old fashioned email then the email address is podcast at plane talking com. it's podcast at plane talking com. why not send us in your question that you'd like us to ask captain al uh ideally aviation related um we don't really want to sort of go down there for the next episode of uh plain truth and you may well feature very soon
0: Yes, so don't forget. Also, don't forget, Matt, those lovely T-shirts that we've got. In months oh yes, as well. yeah, on the
1: website. So it's www.plaintalkinguk.com is the website. Uh, do your shopping on the Amazon link that's also there. You can donate to the show without actually having to spend any money. We get a small advertising referral free from Amazon if you do your shopping through the link on our website, and uh, the Patreon link is also there on the website: www.plaintalkinguk.com.
0: Yes, so we're going to say a big thanks then to everyone who has joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Thank you to everyone for joining us and watching this show live. We love you all and we love the comments in the chat room because it is the chat room which uh, really does uh, make this show what it is, yeah, watching you guys chat in there. So thanks yeah. to everyone. And also a big thanks as well to everyone who does listen to the show as an audio download through uh, all the relevant Uh, download platforms, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, all those ones. And if you do listen to us through those, it would be awesome if you do have five minutes and you could leave us uh, a review on there as well. That would be absolutely fantastic. So that is where we are going to bring Episode 346 to a close. But don't forget, stay tuned if you are watching on YouTube because we've got a special treat for you coming up in just a moment uh, with a certain A320 kind of uh, affair. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah. So uh, I suppose we better uh, close up the show than guys yeah. and girls. So yeah. that is episode 346. Don't forget to join us next Friday for the, the next show uh, with loads of awesome content as usual. And hopefully we'll have Armando back with us again. So from me, Carlos, here in my home studio, from Matt in the PDUK Master Suite Studio, from Nev in the glorious, spectacular Nev Tech Studios, And from our producer, John, in his glorious studio, who is a legend for doing everything on the show notes side for the show every week. Thank you, John. Take care. Have a great weekend. And see you all next week.